All right, so Father, I thank you for this time. Lord, as we come to you in Jesus' name and through his blood, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Where will we be tonight without the word of God? Lord, we bless you and we praise you that you are holy and awesome, worthy of praise. And Lord, I ask you tonight that as we get into the word of the Lord, that your precious Holy Spirit will begin to move out very strongly upon all those that are going to be hearing this. And Lord, even those that, that watch this or listen to this or watch it down the road, it could be years from now. But we ask that there be an anointing on this, that your Holy Spirit would move upon every one of us and help us by the Holy Spirit to have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to lock in right now, that our minds to be focused, to not be distracted by the things, that our eyes and ears are anointed, to be eyes and ears of the Spirit, and that we'd have good, fertile soil of hearts, that our hearts would be good soil ready to be able to receive everything that God has and that you would speak through me, Lord, everything that needs to be spoken tonight, everything would go out as living seeds of truth into good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, that you would help us all just to get everything out of this. Let your word go out as the washing of the water of the word. Let it be a hammer that breaks down every stronghold. Let it be a sword that penetrates and gets where it needs to be. And Lord, we thank you for your word. It is alive and active, Lord. It is powerful. And Lord, the Bible says your word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So we believe together for this going out among the nations. The, the Holy Spirit, like a, a wind, would just blow this out among the nations everywhere it's supposed to go. And it will accomplish everything it's supposed to do. And Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So all of us agree together as a church and lord we take authority over the enemy that would try to hinder this word in any way and in the name of jesus we bind him right now you will back off this word you will cease and desist every maneuver against this word right now we break your power and we bind you in jesus name back off and lord i thank you for your angels clearing that out and we love you lord and we bless you and we believe everything's going to be accomplished you will be done in jesus name amen all right. Well, as we get into this tonight, I'm dealing with warfare against the glory. This is part 10. And as we get into this, this is going to be dealing with Purim. And Purim, we know, has to do with the book of Esther in the Bible. Okay. So as we get into this, I just want to give you a few things to open up with. And I'm going to go real quickly. So just listen to me sitting in the notes. But it's interesting if you look at the, the story of Amalek. And so whenever Balaam, Balaam was a false prophet. Remember all those years later um, when Israel was already um, in the land. I mean, I'm sorry. Israel was in the wilderness time rather under Moses. Balaam was a false prophet that came and tried to curse Israel. But he spoke a lot like uh, metaphors and it was prophetic type things because he was this false prophet um, you know he's a weird guy but anyway he called Amalek the first of the nations he spoke of them like they were very ancient but Amalek was not the first of the nation he, he was speaking about something deeper than that see there is an ancient spirit that hates Christ you understand there's an ancient spirit it began in the Garden of Eden when God told Eve that from you, from you will come a promised Messiah. He was talking about from woman. 
and he will crush your head. He crushed the serpent's head, even though the serpent would strike at his heel. And from that moment right there, Satan knew that there was going to be a Messiah that would come, and this Messiah would defeat him and destroy him. And so there's an ancient spirit, it's an antichrist spirit that has been trying to, to stop the coming of this Messiah all along. That's why Satan began to move later on through the Nephilim and, and he did all that he did to try to come against the nation of Israel and, and eventually try to come against the, the line of David. All through that, he was trying to stop the coming of Christ. Do you remember when Herod, when they heard that... Um, you know the wise men came what did Herod do he tried to kill all the babies he was trying to stop the coming of the Christ and there's this ancient hatred that goes back and it really it, it started in the garden with an antichrist spirit but among men it seems with this Amalek thing that when Jacob and Esau were wrestling there um, Esau became Edom and Esau hated Jacob Esau ended up hating the nation of Israel the descendants of Jacob and his grandson was named Amalek and so there was this this fostered hatred in his grandson and the Amalekites they just hated Israel and you read about when Moses brought um, Israel out of Egypt that as they were wandering in the desert that Amalek tried to attack them from the rear and pick off those that were weak those that were tired those that were older and Amalek attacked them it was totally unprovoked and God was so angry about this, he said that he would wipe them out completely. You got to understand that Amalek speaks of something deeper than just this nation. It speaks of an antichrist type spirit that is in the earth trying to stop the coming of the Lord. And eventually Saul was raised up as king and Saul's first great assignment was to attack the Amalekites and completely wipe them out. God told Saul, you don't leave an animal alive. I mean, nothing. I want them annihilated. And what did Saul do? He didn't kill all of them, and he didn't kill all the animals. So God had to remove Saul and raise up David because Saul did not wipe them out completely. It ends up that in the story of Esther, um, Haman was called an Agagite because of him somehow being a descendant of the Amalekites. Do you see what I'm saying? If you don't eradicate certain things, it will keep coming up in the future. And so it ended up that God had to raise up Esther in that situation. And God used Esther, which we'll get into this tonight, but she was used by God to help turn that entire thing around. I'm going to tell you something. Um, Haman was almost successful at wiping out the Jewish people and if he was listen to what I'm saying because this is what it's all about it would it was an attempt to stop the coming Messiah from entering the earth that's what it's all about that's what it's always been about to this day Satan knows prophecy and he knows that when Jesus comes again he's coming to the nation of Israel that's why Satan has all around the nation of Israel from the northern border you got to understand all the way around to the southern border they're surrounded by enemies that want to annihilate them why but they're just this little bitty nation because Satan knows that's where the Christ is he's trying to stop now the second coming of Christ he's trying to uh, to somehow stop these prophecies from happening but he's not going to be able to do it 
And it's the same thing. It translates itself also in anti-Semitism because why does Satan try to wipe out the Jews? Because the Bible says that there's going to be Jewish people that Jesus is going to come to. Do you understand? He's trying to get rid of them. He's trying to wipe out the land of Israel and make it something that's, that's Islamic. All of this is to stop the coming of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what it's always been about. And that's the deeper meaning of the story of Esther. And isn't it interesting that in the story of Esther, that Haman was the great enemy of Israel. He's a picture and type of the Antichrist. Isn't it interesting that Haman had ten sons and that the Antichrist will rule over ten kingdoms? We're living in the days when there were what the Bible calls end-time prophecy unfolding. You know, this the latter days, end-time prophecy. We're seeing this in our generation happening. And what's scary is, is that I'm not saying this in a, in a way to be belittling or smart aleck or anything, but I believe it to be true, that as this is happening, I would say a lot of Christendom has no idea what's going on. But literally, it's unfolding right before our eyes. So I'm going to give you some things tonight that I believe will really help you in seasons of war. I believe as Christians that, that we're born into warfare. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but what do we wrestle against? Princes and powers and wickedness and heavenlies and, and, you know, it's satanic forces. And the battle is extremely real. And Satan is not playing games and he does not shoot like rubber bullets and all that. He is, he's serious. And so we have to take the battle very seriously. So here's some things about Esther I wanted to talk about at the beginning. Esther went through a deep consecration. Let me tell you the greatest threat to Satan's kingdom. I believe this so much in my heart. I believe this to be true. I believe the greatest threat to the devil's kingdom in the earth right now are really powerful intercessors and prayer warriors. Are you hearing me? I'm going to ask you all as little moving around and talking as possible, okay? It distracts and hinders. Look this way. Give me your best ear. The greatest hindrance to the devil's kingdom and the greatest threat to Satan is what? Intercessors and prayer warriors. Because those that know how to pray and they really know how to, to wage war through prayer, they will see Satan's plans canceled. They will see the devil's works destroyed. And they will see God's purposes take place in the earth. But it is through powerful prayer and intercession that it takes place. I believe that probably because they're the greatest threat, I believe that many times Satan does his absolute best to try to get any praying church to stop praying and to get the people that are the prayer warriors to get them out of prayer. Are y'all hearing me? Because we all know that a praying Christian is a powerful Christian. And we all know that a praying church is a powerful church. And the devil knows it too. So see, Esther is a picture and type of an intercessor. More than anything else, Esther is just an intercessor, a prayer warrior. 
when she went before the king, you have to understand that that's a picture and type of like the bride of Christ approaching the Lord as an intercessor on behalf of others. And it turned the thing completely around. Actually, it was an impossible situation. You understand it was impossible. It was already set in law and set in motion. She was used through intercession to turn an impossible situation completely around to where literally Haman ended up being hung on his own gallows. His sons, his 10 sons also were killed and the whole thing turned completely around in Israel's favor. You know what that was right there? That was God saying, Antichrist spirit, you're trying to stop the coming of the Christ, but whatever you do, I'm going to raise up intercessors and I'm going to turn the whole thing around and it's going to blow up in your face and my kingdom purposes are still going to go forward. But here's some things I'd like to bring out about Esther. Number one, she went through a deep consecration. See, you guys know this, so I'm not going to dwell on it, but remember that, that Moses had to consecrate Aaron and his sons as priests because they had to go into the presence of God. How did Moses do that? Through blood, through water immersion, through the anointing with oil. And you see here that she went through a period of time where she was being washed and she was being saturated with oil. It was a picture and type of the Lord deeply consecrating her and preparing her to go in to meet with the king. Also, Esther understood the power of fasting. In Esther 4.16, when things were coming to a head and she was now going to go before the king, she told those that came to her, she said, go and assemble all the Jews found in Susa and fast for me and do not eat or drink for three days and, and three nights. I and my maidens will also fast in the same way and thus I'll go into the king which is not according to the law and if I perish, I perish. But she understood the power of fasting. Now I'm going to tell you that fasting will supercharge your prayers. It is extremely powerful. There's a lot of different teaching out there that I've heard on fasting and some of it's very good and some of it's not. But I'm going to tell you that fasting is extremely, extremely powerful. It's interesting because there was a time in Judges chapters 19, 20, and 21 that the tribe of Benjamin had done something that was so wicked that it required the rest of the nation to attack Benjamin because they wouldn't repent. So basically, I don't want to get into this because that's not the point, but it started a civil war. But God was on the side of Israel against Benjamin because Benjamin had sinned and there had to be a cleansing. And so when Israel asked God, they said, shall we go up against our brother Benjamin? The Lord said, go. And the first time they went to battle, even though God said go, the first time they went to battle, they lost. How many of you guys have ever experienced that? You felt like that you heard from God and you started moving forward and it just seemed really difficult. And so they're weeping and they're praying. Now hear me, they're praying. Everybody say they're praying. praying. So they're weeping and they're crying out to God and they're saying, Lord, what happened? <laughs> you told us to go into battle. And they said, shall we go up again? The Lord said, go again. They went a second time and they lost. 
again. So now they're weeping again and they're crying out to God. But here's the difference. The third time, they all fasted from morning till evening. They hadn't done that before. So now they're not only praying, but they bring in fasting and they unify together in their prayer and fasting. And they say, and they say Lord, shall we go up a third time? And the Lord said, go. And they went and they won. The only difference was fasting. Sometimes when things seem impossible, fasting will turn it around. There's such a power, you can see it all through the scriptures. There's such a power in fasting. Just to say a few quick things about it. It was interesting to me that even Ahab, as wicked of a king as he was. Do you remember King Ahab, Jezebel's husband? Wicked king. The Bible says that none before him were as wicked as him. He went to a whole nother level of wicked, okay? And even though he was that wicked, Elijah prophesied that he was going to be killed. Great judgment was coming and all of that. And you know what Ahab did? He humbled himself and he put on this burlap. Even as a king, he put on this, this burlap and he got down in the ashes and he put the ashes on his head and he began to weep and pray and fast and ask God for mercy. And you know what God did? Even as wicked as Ahab was, because he humbled himself in fasting, God said, Ahab, I've heard you and it won't take place in your lifetime. I'm going to give mercy. Isn't that something? The prophecy had already been decreed. It was the will of God for judgment to come. But because Ahab humbled himself and fasted, God pushed the timing back for him. As wicked as he was. You know, it's interesting to me. I remember David Hogan said something, and I'll never forget this because he's a missionary in Mexico. And David Hogan has seen some tremendous things. He's, they've seen a lot of people raised from the dead. He's kind of famous because of that. They've seen a lot of miracles. They've seen a lot of things happen. They've seen a great harvest of souls, great breakthroughs. And I remember just kind of listening to him and I'm gleaning, you know, what is Brother David doing out there to see the level that he's seeing? And he said, if you can humble your soul in prayer and you will humble your body in fasting, there's nothing that God promised that he won't do. Did everybody hear that? Let me say that again. He said, if you'll humble your soul in prayer and you'll humble your body in fasting, there's nothing that God promised that he won't do. But what did David put the emphasis on? Not just fasting, but humility. He said, it's a way of humbling your soul in prayer and humbling your body before the Lord. That's interesting, isn't it? So some things about fasting... In the Garden of Eden, the Bible says about Adam and Eve, they ate something they were not supposed to. We all know that. You know what fasting is? It's the exact opposite. It's where you don't eat what is permitted. The flesh doesn't like fasting, especially if you're not in a habit of doing it. How many knows that your, your flesh is where the sin nature is? And there's a lot of things about God that your flesh doesn't like at first. You've got to beat that flesh down under subjection. People are always trying to find a way out of, of not fasting. 
I hear a lot of excuses. You start talking about fasting. Boy, all these excuses start popping up everywhere, you know. That flesh just... But Philippians 3.19 gives a warning. It says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their stomach. Did you know that your stomach can be an idol? Whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. See, if we're not careful, we become just carnal and worldly and we're just like the world. There's no marked difference in us. In the Bible, fasting has to do with food. There was one time once where Daniel fasted food. He fasted meat and he fasted sweets, but he also fasted where he didn't put lotions on. So he did something other than just food. He added to the food something else, but it was a partial fast because he was still eating vegetables. But Daniel fasted for 21 days and God gave him a major, major breakthrough. See, this was, this was a serious time. You have to understand Again, we're talking about how Satan has been trying to play this chess match. Okay, God moves this way. Satan tries to move to block kingdom purposes. This has been going on. Well, God had to judge Israel because of sin and sends them into Babylonian captivity. Well, Daniel was a great intercessor like, like Esther. Daniel was a great intercessor, a great prayer warrior. And he discerned because he was a man of the word, a man of the spirit. He was a man of discernment. He discerned that Jeremiah prophesied they're only supposed to be in Babylon 70 years. And 70 years now was coming to an end. So now we know it's God's kingdom purposes to get Israel out of there. But you have to understand, spiritual warfare was going on. And so Daniel begins to pray in Daniel chapter 9. And he's, he's getting under the weight of sin as a true intercessor. He associates himself with the whole nation and with the, whole, the sin of the whole nation. And he says as an intercessor, as a watchman on the wall, Daniel says, God of our fathers, forgive us for the sins. Forgive us for the sins of our fathers. And he begins to repent before the Lord. And he begins to pray God's kingdom purposes. And as he does, what happens? God begins to move. And God begins to, to set in motion a series of events that ended up where Ezra, remember how King Cyrus was eventually raised up and Ezra went back, he rebuilt the temple, and then Nehemiah went back and rebuilt the wall. But it goes back to somebody who was like Esther, Daniel, a great intercessor, prayer warrior that fasted and prayed. And when Daniel fasted and he was asking God for something, he realized that he was not seeing any change yet. So what did he do? He began to fast. He gave up meat. He gave up sweets. And he, he didn't put lotions on himself. He, he was really, it was a partial fast. He needed to keep his strength up. But he was seeking God. And then the, the book of Daniel, here's the interesting thing. The book of Daniel gives us a glimpse into the warfare behind the scenes. Eventually, Gabriel shows up to Daniel. And the glory of God was so strong on Gabriel that Daniel was just kind of melting in the glory. How many of y'all have felt that in River of Life? I have. You're just kind of crumbling in the glory. And I love seeing God touch people like that. Anyway, and so Daniel's down. He's just kind of melting in the presence of God. And Gabriel has to put his hand on him and 
and pray for him, strengthen him. Lord, you know, Daniel's able to have strength to gird up under it. But Gabriel comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, he says, on the first day that you prayed, God heard your prayers and God sent me. But I was being battled in the wickedness in the heavenlies. I was being attacked by the prince of Persia and he was delaying me getting here until the Lord sent Michael, who is Israel's warrior prince, by the way, until God sent Michael to give me some reinforcement and free me up so that I could get here. So this is interesting because it's showing us the cosmic warfare that's going on, doesn't it? But Daniel was a man of prayer and fasting, and so Daniel saw the breakthrough. I believe fasting does a couple things. Number one, I believe it helps to really purify us. Because it's interesting that the sin nature is in the flesh. And fasting is where you're, um, it's something that takes place in your physical body. And so there's something about purifying yourself. And I wanted to just sidetrack for a moment and read a testimony about fasting. While this is pulling up here. It was interesting to me that um, Lou Engel stumbled upon something. And um, I mean, you guys love Brother Lou. It's funny because I've got a, I've actually have a recording of him. They should have turned his mic down because Brother Lou's so radical. He's like, glory. You know, you guys know, being the altar time. But man, I tell you what, there is a strong, strong anointing on Brother Lou, and we love him and honor him. He's a great prayer warrior. And, um, Anyway, he, he stumbled upon this, and a friend of mine, uh, John Wesley Davis, which is John Davis's son, he did some research on this book called The Atomic Power of Prayer and Fasting. It was written in the 40s, but Franklin Hall, who wrote it, actually had gotten the revelation even back in the 30s. And Franklin Hall, I want you to hear what I'm saying. It's really interesting. Franklin Hall got this revelation about, listen to this, consecration fasts. Isn't that interesting? And that he was leading groups of people. He was talking about the power of fasting. But he was talking about that you go through seasons of fasting where you're asking God to really consecrate you and purify you from anything that needs to be purged out of your life. And so he would lead these groups of people together in prayer and fasting. Now it was so powerful in these times of consecration fasting that the glory of God was coming in in such a tangible way that there was all kinds of healings and miracles that were taking place. It was very, very powerful. So Franklin Hall decides to write this in a book. He's going through the nation leading thousands of people in this. So I want you to think about the time frame. You've got somebody who's like a John the Baptist forerunner that's going through the land encouraging people to pray and fast and consecrate yourself. And this was in the 30s and early 40s. And we all know that it was in the 40s that great revival broke out in this nation with people like Oral Roberts, William Branham. And it was estimated that almost around 800 different evangelists were raised up at that time throughout the land. Tents were everywhere. Major healings and miracles happening all over America. Somebody was praying and fasting. You may not know who it is. You never probably heard of Franklin Hall. But somebody was praying and fasting. And that's why revival came. Anyway, before revival broke out, Franklin Hall felt to write this book. And there was a woman 
that had fasted for 40 days came off of it and fasted another 40 days. God told her to. She goes and lays hands on the manuscript and begins to pray over it. And she felt that he needed to send it out. He began to send it to as many ministers as he possibly could in the nation for free. Just sent it to them. You read in the testimonies of all the people that God started really raising up and using. You read their testimony. They'll tell you that God led them to a season of fasting before it broke out. Franklin Hall's hand was in that. In other words, God raised up somebody that was going to pay the price for a major move of God. And there's no telling how many millions of people got saved in that revival. All right, so with all that said, this was an excerpt out of Atomic Power with Prayer and Fasting. And Lou Engle came across this book, and he kind of repopularized it again. But I'm just going to give you one quick thing. I wanted you to see about purging out the things that need to go. He said that he was underweight, about 29 pounds. He was too skinny. And he said on the 31st day of December 1945, he gives this testimony. After hearing Franklin Hall give some enlightening teaching on fasting, I started a consecration fast. I partook of no food for the entire fast for 14 days. Water was taken for the purpose of um, cleaning out my system. He said I was a heavy smoker. And it seemed impossible to give it up. But on the third day of the fast, I had no more desire for it. God purged that out. On the fourth day of the fast, hunger left me entirely. Anybody that's ever fasted knows about day four, five, or six, you just start, your stomach goes to sleep. It's not as hard. A little later, all weakness left. And to my surprise, I started feeling better and stronger day by day. I could pray, listen to this, I could pray more earnestly. And with greater results. Several days later, I received the glorious baptism in the Holy Spirit. So God began to send this man great revival in his life as he's fasting. Several days later, he's, and anyway, he says, I kept busy with my work. The fasting did not bother me much. What Brother Hall tells you about fasting is true. In our new spiritual consciousness, our eyes are now open to discern the true nature of our formal nature our formal natural environment rather and it worked out just the, just that way in my life it was a glorious experience in other words he was having this deep spiritual encounter with god he said when i began to fast i weighed 140 pounds this was 29 pounds underweight at the conclusion of my fast 14 days later i lost 16 pounds for um i weighed 124 pounds but 60 days after that, I not only regained my weight back, but I also gained back the 29 pounds that I needed to gain. And he says, it's exactly what I was supposed to weigh a man my height and my age. Everyone told me that I looked better than they had ever seen me before. And I, and I testify that I feel better. Isn't that awesome? He said that my nervousness is gone and I have a better complexion. And best of all, I've received the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And I have much deeper experience with the Lord. So the power of fasting began to break old things out of his life that needed to go. And began to purge him, consecrate him, and open him up to a greater relationship with the Lord. Now I say all that because as a church... We have a couple times a year where we set aside 14 days, and it's interesting with this testimony. We set aside, it may be more or less, other, but anyway, 
this year we're going to have 14 days where we're praying and fasting and the goal is is to consecrate ourselves unto god that god will purge out everything out of us that needs to go and cleanse us and then we can go deeper in him another thing about fasting is great humility another thing about fasting i want to mention is this major breakthroughs in prayer and victory in war which i've already given examples isaiah 58 is the pattern to live in continual revival and isaiah 58 paints this picture that if you'll humble yourself you'll pray you'll fast you'll give to the poor and you'll consecrate your life that god will answer your prayers so Isaiah 58 gives that pattern, those five things, humility, prayer, fasting, giving, and consecrating your life. And I always love the story of Cornelius, and I know you guys know this, but Cornelius, he was a man of prayer, but he was a man of giving. He was a financial giver, and when revival was going to break out, God made sure it found Cornelius. And the angel told him, your prayers and your giving has gone up before God as a memorial offering. So fasting is powerful. Amen? And so I just encourage you to seek the Lord and do some times of fasting. If you want to read that book called Atomic Power with God Through Prayer and Fasting by Franklin Hall, it is written back in the 40s, but it still is relevant today. And another thing I want to say is this. You know, that man said he went on a fast and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. See, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's going to be this prayer language that starts coming. Let me tell you, I think you guys know this, but we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we need a prayer language. I'm talking about tongues. So 1 Corinthians 14, 2. And let me say this too, because I'm talking about Esther and I'm talking about an antichrist spirit. Isn't it interesting that in the church world that christ means the anointed one are y'all hearing me the anointed one and it's interesting that antichrist spirit is an anti-anointing spirit hello and jesus says in acts 1 8 he said that you'll be clothed with power to be my witnesses you know why there's such powerless witnesses going on because they're not baptized in the holy ghost there's a lack of anointing. There's a religious form of this antichrist spirit that wants to keep the church powerless where they don't like tongues, they don't like the supernatural, they basically don't like large portions of the Bible. I love you enough to tell you that that's a religious antichrist type spirit that's at work in your life because you're allowing it. I love the whole Bible. Amen? All right, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For, for the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself in verse 4. So you're uttering mysteries. The Apostle Paul, many times you see the phrase where he said, behold i'm going to share with you a mystery how did paul get mysteries how did paul get divine revelation 
Was it not Paul who said, I speak in tongues more than you all? It was right at Paul's um, new birth experience. You know, let me, just, let me just rabbit trail for a moment. I believe you guys need to hear this, and I believe that you'll really appreciate this. The Apostle Paul was a religious Pharisee. And he's riding down the road on his donkey. And what's he doing? As a religious Pharisee, he's zealous for God in persecuting God's people. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Isn't it just like the Pharisees to be zealous for God in persecuting what God's actually doing in the earth through the Holy Spirit? Paul is going down the road and he's persecuting the church. He's persecuting the move of God. When Jesus appears to him, I want you to think about the power encounter here. Everybody say power encounter. Paul, all of a sudden, is knocked off his donkey. He's thrown to the ground. How many people have been thrown to the ground by the Holy Ghost? Okay. He's thrown to the ground. And he has a vision of the Lord. And Jesus appears to him. He says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, I, I'm paraphrasing. He says, I don't know who you are. How am I persecuting you? He says, I'm, I'm Jesus. Anyway, and Paul has this encounter with the risen Christ. Paul had a power encounter. Let me say that again. Paul had a power encounter that changed his whole life. See, early Pentecostals understood having a power encounter with God for yourself. Paul, the rest of his life, everywhere he went, he would tell his testimony. Do you remember he even stood before heathen kings that he knew would probably make fun of him? And he would tell his testimony. And say, I was riding on my donkey down the road to Damascus. A bright light shone. I was thrown to the ground. And Jesus, raised from the dead, appeared to me. And they were, they were sitting there laughing at him. But he would tell that power encounter everywhere he went. And I'm just telling the truth here, and I believe that you guys know this. And I would say the overwhelming majority of most of our churches today, if somebody had that same power encounter and got up and told their testimony, they would not be received. They'd be laughed to scorn. But see, our early Pentecostal roots that we come out of, they understood power encounters. And there were services that they lingered, and people knew how to pay the price in prayer and fasting. I just recently posted this on Facebook, but somebody posted how the early Quakers in the 1700s would meet, and they would be there in the quietness of those prayer meetings for hours, seeking God until God came. And when the power of God came in that place, many of them would be struck by the power of God and would be baptized in the Holy Spirit or whatever was to happen, but they had a power encounter. You know what's concerning? is because now there's a generation that's raised up that have never had a power encounter. There's churches now, even Pentecostal churches, that you don't see any type of uh, you know, demonstration of power. And I believe a lot of it is because people have gotten, they've gotten so in the flesh, they've gotten away from prayer and fasting and seeking God and lingering in prayer until God moves in power. 
People want some cheap, quick, easy thing. And God doesn't work like that. But anyway, that's one of the reasons why I go out of my way to pray for the younger generation. Because Pentecost has failed them. Our spiritual revivals have waned in the past and those that should be passing it to the next generation aren't doing it. They're sanitizing the churches from any type of tongues or power. Why? Because they want to please people and get a lot of money. But Paul said that as you speak in tongues, you utter mysteries. So there's revelation that comes. And he said, anyone who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. So you're building yourself up. In Jude 1.20, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You're strengthening, you're edifying, you're building yourself up. I remember something I heard Lyndall Cooley say in the Brownsville Revival one time, man, it stuck with me. He was saying that there they were in this service, and Lyndall sometimes would really flow in the prophetic. And he just kind of turned, the service was going, and he just kind of stopped the worship for a moment. And he said, there's some people here that you've wondered in this place. And he said, you're standing there right now, you're listening to me, and you're in the presence of God, and you feel something happening and stirring in you. He said, you know what that is? He said, many of you have a heritage. You have grandmas and grandpas that knew the power of Pentecost. They knew the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's in your blood. And even as you're in the presence of God, something's stirring in you. In Romans, Romans 8, 26, but in the same way the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know how to pray. I mean, as we can only pray so much in English. And then we, we really don't know what else to pray. But the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. See, the early Pentecostals understood the deep calling into deep. They understood getting in the spirit and that deep prayer, the groaning and the travailing. The Apostle Paul understood it because he told the Galatians when they started getting weird, it was a church he planted. And he said, I find myself again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. What was he doing? Groaning and travailing in the spirit until God moved again. The Holy Spirit will pray through us. That's what you're hearing with the intercessors. You know why many times we're not seeing the depth of Pentecostal power that we should be seeing? Why aren't we seeing Book of Acts Christianity? There's, there's different reasons, but I believe one of them is because people need to be paying a price in deep groaning and travailing and intercession for the kingdom to come and the will of God to be done and the, the power of God to be released. That's what you're hearing with these intercessors. Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit interceding through them with groanings too deep for words. Because it gets to a point where we don't even know any longer how to pray. But the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to pray at exactly the right time. And I believe with all my heart that that type of praying is birthing 
something significant. It bursts revivals and it bursts uh, souls into the kingdom, but it also bursts powerful healings and deliverances in, in people's lives. I remember that, that there were many times at the Brownsville revival that the Holy Spirit would just fall in deep intercession. And I love how Steve Hill, there'd be, you know, so many people there, but he always, Steve Hill always honored the Holy Spirit. And if that's the way the Holy Spirit was moving, then that's just the way the revival's moving tonight. And I remember one time that the Holy Spirit fell on some little children. And they, they began to double over and they were groaning and they were travailing and they were wailing in the Spirit. And Steve stopped the whole service to let the little children pray and pretty soon that holy the holy spirit that was touching them that way began to shoot through the whole congregation pretty soon you begin to hear all these people weeping and wailing and what was steve saying he said this is the deepest form of intercession i believe these young people are birthing souls tonight but here's the problem first corinthians 2 13 the things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. You can't talk about the deep things of the Spirit with everybody. Some people, it's cast in pearls before the swine. They don't understand it, and then they'll turn on you and attack you. But the power of praying in tongues, we utter mysteries. God will give you deep, profound revelation as you pray in the Spirit. You'll strengthen and edify yourself. You'll pray the perfect will of God. I believe personally, since it's tongues of men and angels, when you're speaking in a heavenly language, I believe that the enemy does not know what you're praying. What is the advantage of that? Because he's not going to set up a roadblock. That's the advantage. You're just going to go right through it because you prayed about it in the spirit and he's not going to be able to resist that. Isn't it interesting that in times of war, I don't remember specifically what war it was, but our nation got some Native American Indians who had a very rare uh, native tongue that nobody knew but them and they had them use that as code to talk through the radios. Because they didn't want the enemy to know their strategy. And so whenever they went to do something, the enemy was unprepared. I believe when we pray in the spirit, the enemy is totally, completely unprepared. He's not going to be able to try to set up roadblocks. You're just going to go right through it and you're going to slam his kingdom unprepared. The Bible talks about it. Anyway, it's a personal prayer language. And uh, there's the difference between our personal prayer language, which we pray all the time. That's what Paul was saying. I pray in tongues more than you all. Um, that's what the Bible says in Mark 16, 18, when it was talking about those that believe will lay hands on the sick, they'll drive out demons, and they'll speak in new tongues. That was for all who believe. Did everybody catch that? All who believe. That's, that's your prayer language. But there's also an element of the gift of giving a message in tongues that's for the corporate body and there are people and we need to see more of this in river of life but anyway there's people that will have that gift in their life and they will give a message for the corporate body and then it'll be interpreted 
And um, I remember one time I was in this church service and the Holy Spirit was really moving at this church. It was a spirit-filled church. And this was back in the 90s during the time of revival. But somebody, the worship kind of died down and somebody gave a message in tongues and the interpretation came. And the interpretation read somebody's mail and said there's somebody here away from God and began to give specifics about them. Did you know that somebody came out of the balcony and ran down and gave their life to Jesus that night? I saw it. It was awesome. So let me just close with this. Esther is a picture and type of a great intercessor. She found favor with the king. So in this instance, when we talk about the king, we're talking about Jesus. Okay, you see the metaphor. She found favor. Intercessors find favor with the king. And it turns impossible situations around. She humbled herself. She consecrated herself. She fasted and she prayed. She found favor and saw great victory. So if you want to be somebody that's like an Esther, let God begin to deeply consecrate your life. Begin to go deeper in prayer and fasting. Don't compare yourself with a lot of the lukewarm junk out there and then say, oh, I'm doing pretty good. No, don't do that. Read the book of Acts. Did y'all hear me? Read the book of Acts. Compare yourself with that. We need our shadow to be healing the sick. We need to be seeing the power of God. There's more. And I'm hungry for more. Let me pray and we'll close down recordings. Lord, I thank you so much for this time. And I pray that this word will really get in your people because I believe you're wanting to raise up intercessors. People, Lord, that will commit themselves to prayer and fasting. People that will consecrate their lives and that will find favor with the king. And people that are going to be used to see Satan's plans canceled in the earth and the plans and purposes of God coming forth. And Lord, I thank you for hearing and answering the prayers over this sermon tonight. Lord, raise up, raise up many that hear this that will be radical for you to break away from this Laodicean lukewarm church business out there and they're going to go after God. They're going to read the book of Acts and they're going to go after God. Raise up those type of people we ask you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.